We have been spending some time this month uh, just uh, looking to God's Word about uh, how uh, do we do a good job uh, at uh, being rich. And want to wrap that up uh, this morning by, by talking about uh, being rich uh, toward uh, God. And to set the stage for that, I want to take you back a, a few decades. 1783, Edward Jenner had an incredibly crazy idea. All over Europe, smallpox was like this boogeyman that was just everywhere, uh, and it was, it was ravaging uh, and people and families and communities, bringing death wherever it went. Fact is, uh, in some areas, 80% of the children who contacted smallpox died. I mean, it was that devastating. Well, when people heard there was, there was smallpox uh, in an area, the boils in the area, they, they would panic. Mothers were hiding their children. People were, were running away. Uh, but Jenner had a different approach. He believed it was possible to take steps that could actually make a person immune to the disease by going toward it instead of away from it. English folklore of the day told of milkmaids who would never catch smallpox because they had had cowpox somewhere along the way. And so he began to, to theorize that if we could expose people to the fluid from an active cowpox boil, it would actually immunize them against smallpox. And so he began to experiment, and that's exactly what happened. And in medical papers, Jenner invented a new word, vaccine. It's based on the Latin word for cow, vaca, vaca, right? So next time you get a vaccine, you think of cow, right? Because that's, that's kind of the root of it. And because of his work, right, today we don't fear a whole lot of diseases because we have been vaccinated, we have been protected from them. When we look to the New Testament, the New Testament reminds us uh, that money, wealth, carries with it a potential disease. We might call it affluenza. Affluenza can do things to us. It can do things to our heart. It can do things to our life. It can do things to our relationship with God and with others. But there is a way. There is a way to protect ourselves against affluenza. There's a way to protect ourselves against the negative effects of wealth, of riches. And that is through the instructions we've been kind of unpacking along the way. And our whole purpose in this series is that you and I would learn how to be good at being rich, that we would learn how to be good at being rich. And what I want to share with you today is a perspective and a practice. A perspective and a practice, and this perspective has actually unleashed more radical generosity, has freed more people from the crippling effects of affluenza than anything else, than guilt or, or, or uh, strong-arm tactics or, or whatever it might be. This perspective has unleashed radical generosity, but the perspective works best when it's married 
with a practice. So let's make sure, before we look at the perspective and the practice, let's make sure we remember where we've been in this series. We just reminded ourselves from 1 Timothy 6, which has kind of been our our focal passage, uh, that we are rich. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. I had clothes to choose from this morning. I had a car to drive here. I had clean water that I could fix something with and brush my teeth. I am rich. But there are unique spiritual challenges that go with being rich. That money does things to people. Paul specifically mentioned it can create an arrogance, an arrogance and a pride that separates us from God and others. And it can create a shifting in our hope, that our hope shifts from trusting in God to trusting in his gifts, that we trust in what we have instead of whose we are. And because of that, we need to continually ask ourselves key questions. How are my finances shaping my heart? Because they're not morally neutral. It's always shaping my heart. How are my finances shaping my heart? And then we looked a couple weeks ago, when we start thinking about our financial behaviors, what is deeply within my heart underneath my financial behaviors? If I spend, if I give, if I save, whatever financial behaviors I engage in, what is underneath that? What is, why do I do that? What, what is in my heart that's driving those behaviors? Because what I do with my money reveals my heart, but it also reorients my heart in a particular direction. And then we, we talked about last week being rich in good works. Am I investing my one and only life, my labor, my influence, my finances, my expertise in that which matters most. And then we introduced at the first of this series a key thought that we want to just keep before us, and that is that I will not trust in riches. Whether I think I have a little or a lot today, I will not trust in riches, but in Him who richly provides. And with that kind of quick reminder, Let's jump back to our focal passage, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, to learn about a life-changing perspective on wealth. Let me take you back there again. I know we, we've just kind of honed in on this, but uh, watch with me if you would. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life." Now, I know we can read through something like that and maybe miss what is obvious, maybe miss something very, very important. And I want you to notice a distinction that Paul made to Timothy, and Timothy instruct you and I. The rich in this present age, right here, right now, as we're living in this side of eternity, in this present age, He says, what you do with your life, what you do with your stuff, he says, be generous and ready to share, verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Some of your translations will say the age to come. What you do in this present age impacts 
what will happen in the age to come, in the future. The, the reverse of that is the context for all that I have in this life, this present age, is the life to come. If I want to be good at being rich, if I actually want to be good at living life, I want to live this life in light of the life that is to come. I live in the present age in light of the future, in light of the coming age. Said another way, viewing wealth, particularly viewing wealth through the lens of eternity does something. It loosens my grip on it and its grip on me. When I begin to view my wealth through the lens of eternity, something happens. I don't hold it so tightly anymore. And it doesn't grip my heart so much anymore. And I came across several years ago in the writings of Randy Alcorn, a a, a diagram, and and it's been my pleasure to share that in a lot of different settings because I I think it's so, it kind of pictures exactly what Paul is saying here and Jesus and so many others taught. And it's the picture of the dot and the line. The dot and the line. And the dot here kind of represents this present age. It represents my life right here, right now. And I don't know if you get a 40-year run, a 60-year run, an 80-year run. Maybe some of you will bump up toward 100, maybe even a little over. But that's, that's the length. That's, that's this present age. Now, the line, and actually uh, there's a gap there just to show kind of they, they are different, but they are vitally connected. This line is my life for eternity. The arrow means, remember your basic math class, right? It goes on forever. In fact, is, uh, we, we call this uh, in basic uh, math, right? This is a ray, right? They're connected. It has a specific starting point, but then it continues forever. That's my life and yours. And, and if I'm going to live well in the dot, I live it in light of the line. And one of the questions I need to continually ask myself, am I living for the dot or am I living for the line? Am I living in such a way that it seems like the most important things in my life are what's going to happen for 20, 30, 40, 60, 80, 100 years? Or am I living my life recognizing the largest part of my life and the most important part of my life is going to be in the future, in the age that is to come. When that happens, the context for all that I have in this life, in the dot, becomes the life that is to come, the line. And when we understand that, When we understand that, it begins to shape the way that we live and the way that we handle our stuff. In fact, is this one understanding that's repeated over and over and over again in Scripture has unleashed more radical generosity than anything else in the world. And Jesus taught a very memorable parable about this very principle. But he 
taught it from the perspective of one who didn't handle it very well. Luke chapter 12, we've referenced this parable in passing a couple times in this series. In Luke 12, in the context of, of talking about, uh, about uh, stuff and uh, things that we fear and being anxious, uh, he tells a parable. He told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Paul's. It is a fact of life, isn't it? Every one of us at the end of our run here in the dot, we all leave the same amount, right? 100%. We leave it all. <laughs> this very night, your soul's required. These things that you've prepared, these things that you thought were going to bring you security, these things that you thought made you safe, these things that you thought set you up for a life of pleasure, whose now will they be? Now pause for a moment. If we're listening and if this is our friend telling us they're doing this, we would think, how wise, <laughs> perhaps how strategic, right? You've been blessed and you're, you're saving it up and you're, you're getting your resources together and, and you'll be able to, to eat, drink, and be merry. Well done. But Jesus' conclusion is you're living like a fool. You're living like a fool. And then he kind of gives us the moral, verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, Jeffrey, you're saying it's wrong to save, it's wrong. No. Timothy already said he gives us things to richly enjoy. The scripture is, is filled with, with admonitions to, to, to save and recognize that there are ebbs and flows in our life. But our security is I'm not going to trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And I can do all of those things, but be foolish because I am not rich toward God. If you would sit down with somebody older and wiser, if you'd sit down with a financial planner, and they would say to you, you say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm kind of like spending everything that I have, right? Because I'm just, you only get to go around once in life, and, and I'm just burning through it. And they would say, that, that's a foolish way to live, because there's going to come a time when you're probably not going to want to work, or not going to be able to work, or nobody's going to want to hire you anymore, or whatever it might be. And so you need to prepare for those years. You need to prepare for retirement. That's a wise thing to do well Jesus would say yes but you're not thinking long term enough 
prepare for retirement. In our culture, that's an appropriate thing to do. But don't forget to be rich toward God. Don't forget to prepare for eternity. You see, the natural assumption in our culture, the natural assumption in our flesh is that all that I have is for my consumption. The natural assumption is that all that I have is for my consumption. Whether I consume it now or I set some of it aside to consume later, our natural assumption is that it is all primarily for my consumption. But when I begin to think in terms of the dot and the line, I begin to think a little bit differently. I begin to think things like, what if? What if God prospers me not just to continually increase my standard of living, but to increase my standard of giving so that I can be rich in good works. I can be generous and willing to share. I can be rich toward God. And so Jesus continues to teach in Luke 12, and he talks about not being anxious, and we won't read all of those verses, they're there. Uh, He talks about not worrying about all the things that we tend to worry about. He uses the birds of the air and the lilies of the field as examples of that. Uh, And then as he's kind of wrapping that up in verse 31, uh, he talks about, instead, seek his kingdom, live for the line, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Because where you send your treasure not only reveals your heart, but it redirects your heart. So he's, he's reminding us to be rich toward God. To be rich toward God. Now let's connect these two passages of Scripture. Rich toward God. The foolish man was, was rich in this present age, but he was not rich toward God. Rich toward God is the same as what Tim, Paul is writing to Timothy about. To be rich in good works, to be generous, and to be ready to share. Now that's, that's, the, pers- that's the perspective. To come at this perspective that, that I do everything in this life, in the in light of the line, that I see my life not just in terms of 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, but I see it in terms of eternity, that I want to be rich not just in this moment, but I want to be rich in all of eternity. Now, there's a perspective. Now, how does that look in practice? Well, before we turn to the practice, let me just remind you of three points. One, the scripture talks an awful lot about money. Why? Why did Jesus talk so much about money? Because he knows. He knows how much money will be a part of our life. He knows how it will shape our hearts. It'll either shape it for the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God. The second thing that we know is that even those who name the name of Jesus Christ, even those who are rich like you and I, don't handle their stuff very well. 
particularly in light of eternity. In fact, is what the statistics tell us is that we, we give a smaller percentage now, those who name the name of Christ as a percentage of income, than believers did right after the Depression. It's just declined through the years. The third thing we know is that there are some notable exceptions. There are men and women who have, have understood this perspective. And you've heard some of their stories as we've been telling a, a story every week. You've heard some of their stories via the video. Some of them are right here in this room right now. Men and women who understand uh, that we are indeed so richly blessed and they want to be rich toward God. And they're rich in good works and they're, they're generous and they're ready to share. But how do I begin to really do that? How do I live financially, not just for the dot, but for the line? What does that look like in practice? Where do I begin? Well, I think you have to begin with a strategy. With a strategy or, or, or with a plan, if you will. And we won't spend tons of time on this this morning. I love to talk about these things. But listen, I need a plan. I need a plan for my giving. I need a plan for my saving. I need a plan for my spending. And the Scripture has a lot to talk about all of those areas. I won't be able to go into details this morning. Let me encourage you. If this is an area you want to grow in, there's lots of good resources we can suggest to you. We offer on the Sunday nights in our Disciple Life Cycle, some, uh, whether it's Financial Peace University, you some other things that can help you uh, begin to, to, to develop a, a plan for some of these things. But here's, here's what I know. Here's what I know. If you and I don't have a strategy, if you and I don't have a plan, then the default is, the assumption is, it's all for my consumption. The default is, we'll tend to save or consume it all and give only leftovers. Will consumers save it all? Only give Remember we talked about it the other week. Some of us by default, kind of by temperament, by upbringing, we're spenders. Some of us by default are savers, right? And God so often marries a spender and a saver just to have fun with us, right? Uh, and when he puts us together, we, we can struggle with that. Uh, but, it, you know, so maybe how this looks, but whether you're saving and you begin to shift and think my security is in my stuff rather than in the one who richly provides, or you're a spender, that we will tend to give only out of the leftovers without a plan. You've heard it said in so many areas of life, and we know it's true, right? To fail to plan is to plan to well, fail. Fail. And so how do we plan? Well, a lot of us, this is our plan. We spend, we save, and we give out of the leftovers. And so without a strategy, without a plan, I'll be what we can call a 3S giver. A 3S giver. What's a 3S giver? Spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. A 3S giver, which, by the way, I, I think tends to be the pattern of most of us in America. Spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. So 
what does that look like? What that looks like is sometimes we'll give when there's a need. So in the midst of the holidays, a lot of times there are folks that will give. They not necessarily won't give a whole lot through the year, but they'll give through the holidays because it's kind of it's kind of up in your face a little bit. There's more opportunities. There's emotion connected with it. All those things, uh, or maybe we'll give. You know, we we see a picture of a starving child, or or maybe it's even somebody on the street or whatever, and we just you know we feel whether it's guilt or compassion or whatever we feel. And so there's like this spontaneous giving. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We said earlier in this series, most of us don't feel rich, even though by any measure, we are rich. We are rich compared to how most people live across the world today. We're certainly rich compared to the way that most people have lived throughout the history of humanity. Most of us, though, don't feel rich but we do feel generous. It's an interesting paradox. We don't feel rich, but we do feel generous, not because we give necessarily a large percentage of our income, but because we give spontaneously, sporadically, and even sparingly. We do just enough to make us feel in our minds, I am generous. Of course I'm generous. I just gave 50 bucks. Of course I'm generous. I did $100 for that. And that's, let's celebrate that. But what is that? As a percentage of everything that God has entrusted to you. Does it really look generous then? And, and please hear me. I'm not trying to, to, to guilt us here. I'm just trying to say let's, let's have a plan for this. Right? Let's Think through, how can I strategically live because the culture around me is going to tell me the assumption is it's for your consumption. To live for the dot and to not live for the line. What's the solution? If I don't have a strategy, I'm going to be spontaneous, sporadic, and sparing. What's the solution? The solution is to be a 4P giver. To be a 4P giver. What is a 4P giver? I'm glad you asked. It starts by being a priority. A priority. So that I say, as I plan this, God, I'd want to be rich toward you. I want, want to place as a priority in my life giving. A priority means it is more important than some other things that might call for my attention and even call for my resources along the way. And so there there is a priority. The Bible talks about first fruits, uh, those first things uh, that I give. So I, I make this a priority in my life. That is different from leftovers, right? Priority is on the front end. Leftovers is if I have anything left over. So I, I start, this is a priority. I want to live not just for the dot. I want to live for the line. Also, a percentage, a percentage that I'm not just going to kind of fool myself into thinking I'm generous and willing to share because spontaneously and sporadically I give here and there. But I am going to look at what God has entrusted to me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prayerfully set a percentage. A percentage to say, this much, God, this much as a priority goes to the work of your kingdom. Goes to the work of your kingdom to save the lost, strengthen believers, serve the poor. We talked about those priorities earlier in the series. 
Now, let me just interject personal journey. I didn't grow up knowing this. I don't think I grew up with stingy people. (laughs) We all thought we were generous. But I didn't, I never thought in these terms until God got a hold of my life. And I began to realize again, I I don't want to live for the dot, I want to live for the line. I want to please you in all that I do and all that I have. And so for me, for us, and not that we had like a super abundance of resources and certainly didn't feel rich. I just said, all right, Lord, it would seem for me, at least in reading your Bible, that the tithe, the 10% was the place to start. And so we just kind of said, this is going to be first. And we're going to honor you with this first. And see what you do. And as God has increased income over the years, we have been able to maintain that. To keep that giving going. That percentage going. It's not just about an increase in a standard of living, but a standard of giving. Now, It doesn't stop there. Let me just go ahead and do this other, and I'll circle back. The third P is progressive. It's progressive. There was a time early in this personal journey for me that was like, okay, you know, God, I'm doing this. <clears throat> God, I'm doing this. Would you notice this? God, check it out. I'm doing this. You know. uh, and and, and it, gosh, I was doing it in trust. I was doing it in faith. I was doing it in obedience and all those things. But I began to understand that that wasn't, ever intended to be the ceiling. (laughs) But in many ways, that was the training wheels that God used to teach me how to be generous and willing to share. And so what God is stretching us on over the past couple of decades has been progressive. So that we begin to think, okay, Lord, not just 10%, but how can we begin to step that up? How can we begin to step that up progressively through the years? Maybe it's a half a percent. Maybe it's 1% this year. And it's not that much that you'd miss, but you just begin to step it up. And so, okay, here's this, here's this 10%. And then, God, there's, there's this other percent we want to give over and above to mission causes. And there's this other stuff that we want to, we use to sponsor a compassion child. And, and there are these other, uh, other parts of the, uh, another percentage that we use for these things. And so, so we, we've allowed God to kind of grow that through the years. We started with a percentage and we've allowed God to kind of stretch that percentage, grow that percentage through the years. Now, here's, here's what I want to tell you before I get to the last one. Whenever someone would talk about this, I I would, through the years, I've kind of said, hey, this is the way we did it. We kind of like jumped in and said 10% (laughs) and then let God progress it beyond that. I've met some folks and their journeys have been a little different and they didn't start out at 10%, but they did start with a percentage. 
And maybe they felt like, oh, I just don't have the faith or I'm so overwhelmed with debt or whatever it is. They felt like 10% was impossible. And they started with a percentage, 2%, 4%, 5%, whatever. They started and then they watched as God allowed that to grow and to progress. Here's what I would challenge you to think about. Do you really even know the percentage that your household gives? We're generous. We give. What percentage? Do you even know? So here's kind of what I've begun to tell folks. Start. Figure out where you are and start. Start. Now, I think God will honor if you start where we start, but you start wherever you feel like God wants you to start. Pick a percentage. So here's what I want to say. Pick it and stick it, all right? Pick it. This is under God. This is what we think it looks like for us to begin to move toward being rich toward God, being generous and willing to share this percentage of all that he's entrusted to us, all that's coming in this year. We're going to pick it and we're going to stick to it and then we're going to allow God to progress it along the way. You all right? Going to meddling, hadn't I? Why? Because I don't want you to come to the end of your one and only life and be a rich fool. I want you to be rich toward God. The fourth P is what I think builds on those others. When I'm giving a percentage as a priority and I'm letting God progress that. Then I also, kind of on top of that, have an opportunity to do those things that are prompted. Some of you may feel like, well, this percentage and all this, this feels so kind of, so cut and dry and I, I'm kind of like spontaneous. I'm saying, yes! But do that on top of, do that on top of the foundation that you put in place. And so this is something that I started doing a number of years ago. I learned this from Bruce Wilkinson. And he said he just starts carrying around just a certain amount of money, and he calls it God's money. And now it all belongs to God. We understand that. Uh, but, but he kind of carries around just a certain amount, usually cash, uh, carries it around. He said, this is God's money. And I have it on my person. And I just kind of look out and say, okay, God, who do you want to bless with your money today? <laughs> what need do you want to meet with your resources today? It doesn't have to be a huge amount of money, but it just puts you in a mindset. God, I'm carrying around your money. You tell me when you want me to deploy it. God, I'm carrying around your money. You tell me who you want to bless through that today. Can I tell you, that's a pretty fun way to live. That doesn't happen every day. It doesn't even necessarily happen every week. But as you kind of consciously, and some people who practice that actually even have kind of a little separate thing they, they hold it in to call it God's money, right? It, it just, it's just I walk around and say, God, who do you want to bless? And just be open to the promptings of the Spirit to see what need he might want to meet in addition to those other things along the way. 
Now, I think all this is right. It is all scripturally accurate. And I want you to be rich toward God. But here's the interesting thing, and I don't know that it should come as a surprise. When we begin to live this way, it not only honors God, it not only blesses and it benefits other people, but now the science is telling us it actually brings benefit and blessing into our life as well. There is actually this, this branch of study called the science of generosity. There's a project based out of the University of Notre Dame. If you want to go deeper into some of these facts and uh, stuff, you can pick up the book, The Paradox of Generosity by Christian Smith and Hillary Davidson. And, and in their research, they found a couple things. First, giving is good for you. It's really good for you. In fact, as they write, intentional and regular practices of generosity have been associated with the release of a slew of good chemicals, including, including oxytocin, oxytocin, excuse me, dopamine, and various endorphins. These chemicals are the same ones released after a hard workout or after a particularly pleasurable experience. In fact, generosity is strongly and clearly associated with a sense of purpose in life, personal happiness, and overall personal health. As they continued the study, conversely, a lack of giving is bad for you. Those who do not regularly give have been found to harbor higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol, which is a linkage to everything from headaches to stroke to depression. They kind of summarize. Americans who do not give away 10% of their income run the significant risk of ending up less happy than they might have otherwise been. In fact, as a group, they are less happy. So whatever Americans lose by giving away 10% of their income is offset by the greater likelihood of being happier in life. Rather than leaving generous people on the short end of an unequal bargain, practices of generosity are actually likely instead to provide generous givers with essential goods in life, happiness, health, and purpose, which money and time simply cannot buy. That is an empirical fact well worth knowing. Isn't that just like God? <laughs> Isn't that just like God? That that which matters for eternity <laughs> can also bless you and benefit you right here and right now. The life-altering perspective is that when I view wealth through the lens of eternity. It loosens its grip, it loosens my grip on it and its grip on me. But that's only gonna happen as I plan for it to happen and as I execute on that plan. And the place to start is right where you are. Right where you are. And I know as we've shared some of these stories through this series, maybe you've said, I don't have the resources those people have. I can't do some of the things that they do. You start where you are. And so the story I just want to share with you this morning probably is on the, the other end of the socioeconomic spectrum. It can start with something as simple as the priority of a handful of rice. There are many ways of serving the Lord. Some people do great things. Some people are good preachers. 
some people contribute lots and lots of money. But when we talk about this handful of rice, it is very humble. The service is done in the corner of the kitchen that nobody sees. But God knows. God bless. Every day, simple women in the state of Mizoram in northeast India are spearheading a revolution that is sweeping the world of missions. Their movement, Bufai Thang, or a handful of rice. Bufai Thang is a practice where each Mizo family puts aside a handful of rice every time they cook a meal and later gather it and offer to the church. The church in turn sells the rice and generates income to support its work. Rice has been the staple food of the people of Mizoram, the main life of the people. You are giving what is basic, essential, fundamental to your life. You are sharing that with God. The Handful of Rice Ministry started in Mizoram in 1910. That time, many people did not know the gospel. So the church thought that we need Bible women to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible women, they are locally supported women for evangelism. The practice of Bufaitham is meant for supporting those Bible women. This concept of Bufaitham became so popular throughout Mizoram over the years that giving was not limited to some individuals. The whole of Mizoram, rich or poor, young or old, everybody contributed to it. Bufaitham ตันตัวสนิทนั่นที่น่าจังสวนนี้กลุ่มสัมสารีอันเรียกเรื่องมันเนี่ยประเทศนี้น่าลองทุกันสวยนะอ่ะกันเงียบฟังกินบุฟาย
the largest church in Mizoram with about 500,000 members. This year, they are celebrating 100 years of the handful of rice ministry. In 1914, Damani received from the sale of handful of rice was rupees 80, uh, that is uh, one and a half US dollar. In the year 2009 and 2010, we raised money, uh, one and a half million US dollar from handful of rice offering. We don't receive any outside funding. All the money we have, we receive, is raised within ourselves. At the close of this last physical year, we receive altogether around 13 million US dollars. Out of that, 12% of our total income is from the handful of rice collection. Today, the Mizoram Church is known as a missionary church world over. This success is attributed to their selfless and creative giving. Mizoram state is the most backward state in India. And we are the poorest of the, of the poor. But still, we can raise funds for the ministry of the Lord. We can support 1,800 mission workers. And in the meantime, we can also send overseas missionaries. There have been times when some churches have thought that we need to get blessings from God. And the attitude has, to, has been, what can we get when we become part of the church? But here, the handful of rice offering inspires us that God has called us to share what we have with God for God's ministry. We Mizo people say, as long as we have something to eat every day, we have something to give to God every day. Start where you are with what you have. We want you to be good at being rich. So to remember, God's blessed me with more than I need. I am rich, and that's not to make us feel guilty, but hopefully it's to be very, very grateful. Ask on a continuing basis, how are my finances shaping my heart? What is deeply within my heart and underneath my financial behaviors? Repeat to myself on a continual basis, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Refocus, because I'm going to need to refocus continually on that eternal perspective. The context for all that I have in this life is the life to come. Remember the dot and the line. Be rich in good works. Invest my life, my labor, my influence, my finances, my expertise in what matters most. And then be rich toward God by becoming a 4P giver. We want you to be good at being rich. Let's pray to him together, please. Father, thank you. 
that you have blessed us. And certainly in this season of, of national holiday of Thanksgiving, we are, we are reminded again of how gracious you have been to us. And, and we do seek to count our blessings. But Father, let that, that gratitude uh, well forth uh, in a heart of generosity. And Lord, to whom much is given, much is required. And Lord, help us to handle well all that you have entrusted us with for your glory, for the benefit and the blessing of others, for the expansion of your kingdom. And yes, Father, for the blessing of ourselves in this life, but certainly in that which is to come. Lord, thank you that even in this fellowship, you have placed so many people who are good at being rich. Lord, help us to continue to grow in that way. Lord, you know where we are. You know where you want to take us, who you want us to become. Lord, stretch us, guide us, empower us step by step. And I'm just going to invite you just to be still before the Father for just a moment uh, more.